Uh, let's get into the Word today. What do you say? If you have a Bible with you, go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you should know where that place is by now. I've been teaching a series called A Whole New World. And this will be the sixth part, it looks like, if my counting is correct, of that series. So if you're new with us today, we're glad you're here. And if you want parts one through five, that'll change your life forever, then go on our website and uh, access those things. No cost, no charge involved, and uh, it's just there for you. Second Corinthians chapter five, and notice with me in verse 17. It reads, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, Behold, all things have become new. Now, everybody say now. Now. So now for who? Well, now for anyone who is in Christ. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then I'll remind you of, of the ERV, which reads, when anyone is in Christ, it is a whole new world. The old things are gone, suddenly everything is new. And so we're trying to wrap our minds around the, the fullness, the broad scope and reality of our salvation, knowing that it's not just limited to forgiveness of sins. Wait until the hum goes away. <laughs> All right. and. Uh, now it's back. <laughs> uh, but the, the language of everything is of God. Everything is new. It's a whole new world. It should tell many of us who have received the Lord that there might be more to this than we realize. It might be a bigger experience than I've yet known. And if you think something's out there, why not look for it? Right? If you think something is of value, it's a great treasure. And, and how many know the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, uh, truth makes you free. Amen. Yeah. Say, I'm already free. What if you're more bound than you realize? Yeah, I mean, if you don't know the truth, then you don't know that you don't know the truth. Yeah. That's good. And if you don't know the, the truth and you don't know that you don't know it, you might also have bondage that you don't know about. How many know there are, there are lots of people in the world today that do not think they need God in their life? They think, I'm fine the way things are. Are they? Absolutely not. Definitely not in eternity. They're in big trouble, right? But even here and now, is it possible your life could be so much better? Is it possible my life could, be, could go to a whole other level with another revelation of reality? of spiritual reality, of, uh, of truth in Christ. And that's, that's the way things are. And again, if you think that it might be, it could be, by chance it's out there, might as well look for it, because the discovery of that amazing truth will produce results worthy of the, of the seek, Amen. worthy of that quest, yeah? yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, it's one thing for something to be true, it's another thing to know about it and then benefit from it, 
okay? If, if all things have become new, yet I think that there's a bunch of old stuff lingering, then that is going to affect my relationship with God and all of my life. There's going to be something wrong there. If all things are new, yet I think there's a bunch of old stuff still hanging on. Everybody with me? Okay. And so uh, these things have to be known, embraced, and we must live with the reality of their existence. Uh, you, you, you may have read before in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul writes and, and uses spiritual truth and likens it unto the armor of the soldier. All right? And, he's, and he, he, he ties different revelation truth to certain parts of the armor. One of them is referred to in verse uh, 17 as the helmet of salvation, right? Well, uh, you don't want to take the analogies too far, but why did, he, why did he use the helmet for salvation? You might think, my head, that's not what got saved when I received Jesus. It was my spirit, you know? Out of your belly flows rivers of living water. It's the spirit of man that's born again, not the head, not my mind. Why the helmet of salvation? Well, think of it this way. It's one thing to be saved, your spirit made alive and made new in Christ. It's another thing to have your mind catch up with that reality. One of the things I need to do after salvation is think saved. I can be saved and think like a sinner. Will that affect my day to day? Huge. Will that affect my prayer life? Big time. But if I not only am saved, but then I also think saved, I am set up to do these things God's way and to experience His best. Hallelujah. Amen. And so it's necessary for us to, to, to protect our minds. In other words, if the enemy can convince us of defeat, then he's got an inroad to, to, for that to be our experience. Yeah, even people who are inherently victorious in Christ, Jesus has given us the victory. If he can convince you you're defeated, he'll win. He'll win in these various battles. Think about it just like natural uh, uh, fighters, boxers, other types of organized uh, fighting. Often one person will try to get in the other person's head, won't they? You see it even in the photo shoots. You know, they want to get that picture, them standing face to face, and they look like they hate each other. (laughs) That they each are trying to leave the impression like, I'm going to tear your head off. (laughs) Why? They're trying to convince the other person that's what's going to happen. Put a little bit of fear in there, right? You notice after the fights are done, usually even if one of them gets knocked out or totally, you know, thrashed, they're kind of friends at the end. It's like, hey, good job, man, way to go, good fight. <laughs> so it's all a head game. They're trying to get in there to, to get an advantage. Satan wants to get an advantage in your life by getting in your head. He wants to plant his thoughts, fear, uh, you know, fear, thoughts of guilt and you deserve punishment and all these kind of things. Get in your head. 
And that will affect your relationship with God. It'll affect uh, a number of things that I'll say as, as we go. Now, uh, you, you might recall these verses. Proverbs 23, 7 reads, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What, what? I am as I think? Yep. That's why I've got to think in a way that aligns with truth. My, my, my daily thoughts about myself and about God and about others and about my future needs to be consistent with reality. Because if my thoughts are there, I'll experience it. All right. Proverbs 4.23 reads, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. All right. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. Another way, another way to say this, um, the, the word issues there, out of, out of it spring the issues of life, that word um, can mean boundaries, geographical boundaries or borders, okay? In other words, the way I am inwardly creates my borders, creates my boundaries. If I think in a limited way, that will be the extent of my experience. So let me bring it back to the beginning. If, if, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Now all things of God, it's a whole new world. Yet I think, if any, uh, I'm saved, I'm in Christ, and it's just limited to, okay, um, I'm accepted even though I'm a rascal. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just forgiven of sins. Then that'll be the, the, the depth of my experience. My mind must catch up to God's uh, reality of what he has done in me. Okay, so, so I don't want to put these artificial borders on my life by thinking according to what may just be tradition. It may just be religion. It may be a, 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 you know, a lack of knowledge of God's word. But all those things close us in. But when we see the truth, we, it opens us again. Amen. Everybody okay today? And so we want to uh, think this way. Now, one of the... One of the things that we need to guard, uh, we were sometimes refer to it as consciousness, okay? My, my consciousness, what am I living with? What am I aware of continually? I walk around conscious of, you know, kind of like if you had, uh, you know, if you injured yourself and you had a sore ankle or something like that, it's kind of hard to not be conscious of that. Because every time you get out of the car, or every time you walk somewhere, you go, oh, and it kind of reminds you. Bing, bing, bing. You're conscious of that injury. All right? Uh, we can live with consciousness of other things. Sometimes, I don't know that we're aware that we do it. For example, I've heard from some who have traveled to some of the uh, Eastern European nations, at least years ago when, when there was more communism there, uh, with, you know, Russia in Eastern Germany and all that kind of stuff. And, and they would say that when Americans would be there, well, the, the individuals I heard from said, said it this way, they'd be walking down the street and they'd get in, end up in a conversation with someone and they said they would look at them and say, you're an American. And it wasn't because their skin color or anything like that. They said, you're an American. How do you know that? You walk different. And at least at the time, it was very often people in, that had that background would walk kind of with their head down. They wouldn't be quick to look people in the eye 
uh, they didn't carry a confidence like uh, apparently those from our country did. It's like, what's the difference there? They're just two human beings. What's the difference? It's the way that they think. It's, it's what they're conscious of. And, and we can. Some of that can exist without us even trying or to, to put it there or even know that it's there. And, and one of the things we, have to, uh, we want to avoid as children of God is something that we call a sin consciousness. Okay? Versus the contrast would be uh, co- to be conscious of right standing or righteousness consciousness. You can live and it's just kind of always there, like, this, like the ankle. But this is a positive. I'm just walk, I walk around. There's something about my demeanor, how I think, how I speak, how I react to things that is different because I know I'm right with God. And I'm telling you, this will change everything. Now, one of the primary differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this very issue of sin versus righteousness consciousness. Okay? Sin consciousness versus righteousness consciousness. In the Old Testament, there was a system in place. I say the Old Testament, not the whole Old Testament, but the law part. Okay? Moses got the Ten Commandments, came down, that part forward. Okay? Uh, From that part forward, there was a system put in place that was there to intentionally remind people of their sins. Almost sounds cruel, <laughs> but it had, an, it had an end goal. But it was the system, what they were required to do, the, 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 the system of sacrifices, it was, it was designed to keep them conscious of sins. Okay? Now, they got relief because they were given a system of sacrifices. Okay, you have to have these sacrifices for your sins. Certain sins, certain sacrifices, and certain annual sacrifices. And they would remind them, uh, you need something to die so you can live. Something has to die so you can live. And so, yeah, they got relief, and that would would cover them. Uh, It didn't take it away, but the the, the sacrifices would cover their sins, right? Uh, It's kind of like uh, if you have a closet maybe in your house that when you don't know where to put something, it goes in there. Anybody have that? Have a, have a drawer. I always grew up. We had a drawer designated in the kitchen called the junk drawer. Is that a thing in your house, too? Yeah. Uh, and what's that? What's this? I don't know where this goes. This doesn't have a place. So you can't leave it out. So you put it in there. Okay. Sometimes our garages become that. You know, where does this go? I don't know. Put it in the garage. And uh, that's okay for a little while, but how many know that becomes a, a problem when you can't get in your car, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> there's so much stuff there. Okay. How, how many know there's a difference in something getting put in the closet and something being gone? When it's in the closet, yeah, maybe you can't see it. You still know it's there, don't you? And sometimes that closet kind of lives with you. That drawer, that garage, it's just like, ah, it's always there. There's something about sin that tries to do that to people. And they live and they think it's still there. And in the Old Testament it was. 
it was still there. And if they, anyone forgot about it, here comes sacrifice time, and it was to remind them, it's still there. You still come short of God's glory. You are not good enough. You are insufficient. You need help. And it was to set them up to one day receive a Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. But for us, we're after that. So we're not supposed to have that closet. We're not supposed to walk around with that consciousness of sin. Got this junk. I don't want anybody to see it. I don't want to see it, but I still feel like it's there. I bet there's some people who can relate to this. And you say, well, haven't you received Jesus? Oh, yes, I have. But, no, 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 but, but you don't have that closet anymore. That was the reason Jesus came. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 10. I'd like you to look at these scriptures with your own eyes. Hebrews chapter 10. And, and, and notice just the very first couple of verses. You could read the whole chapter on your own and benefit from that. But, but it reads this way, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. Does everybody understand what, what that means? Just think shadow. You know, I could, if I have my, I could, I could make my shadow here. That's not me. That's, that kind of gives a picture of what, of what I am, an image, a an estimation. It's kind of the same shape as me, but it's not me. You can't hug my shadow. You can't really interact with my shadow. But it's to say there's something that's real. He's saying uh, in the law it had a shadow of good things to come. Not good things that are, but to come. And not the very image of the things. Can never with these same sacrifices, these shadow activities, which uh, they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. So every year, they're continually, continually offering their sacrifices for their sins, and he's saying, and it doesn't really totally work. Again, it gave them relief and, and covering of sin, but it didn't, it didn't make those who approached God perfect. So, the interesting thing about that is someone might say, well, of course not. I mean, it's a common phrase. Well, nobody's perfect. Listen to the language. He's, he said those sacrifices didn't make them perfect. What is he saying? That's what the goal was. That's what God wanted. That's what was necessary was perfection. And he said those sacrifices didn't do the job. They couldn't accomplish that. You have to be made perfect but that won't do it. Let, let, let's keep reading. He said, For then they would not have ceased to be, or would they not have ceased to be offered? They did the job. We don't need Jesus to come. Let's just do the sacrifices. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. That was the goal. You see, the goal is no more consciousness of sins because you're purified. If one is purified, then they have no more consciousness of sins. He said those sacrifices offered continually didn't work to, to achieve that desire, that end goal. It, they didn't make people perfect. What did God want to do? Make people 
perfect. Oh, well, nobody's perfect. Slow down now with that, with repeating these things. If he's saying those sacrifices didn't, he's contrasting that with the final and once and for all sacrifice, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice does make people perfect. Jesus' sacrifice does remove sin consciousness. That's what he's saying. They were inferior. Jesus was superior. That was an inferior covenant. We have a new and better covenant based upon better promises. And now this sacrifice accomplishes that goal. Think, think about way back to the beginning now, first book of the Bible, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree that they shouldn't eat and they experienced spiritual death, the first thing they did was hide. The first thing they did is they ran from God. They, they, they felt ashamed. They, they, God came down looking for them, even though he knows all things. He came down looking for them. Where are you? We were ashamed. We're naked. We're, we're hiding from you. Why are you hiding from God? Well, because that's what sin consciousness produces, fear. When someone feels like a sinner, they think like a sinner, they're aware of guilt and shame and inferiority, they want to run from the one who, is, who loves them. Fear saps your boldness. Whereas, contrast, everything's a contrast here now, whereas Jesus' sacrifice does the opposite. It removes fear. Fear of what? Fear of punishment. It removes fear and places inside of you a confidence, a boldness to draw near to God. Why would I draw near to God with all the goofy things that I've done? Because of Jesus' shed blood, the final sacrifice, I can walk up to him and I have no baggage. I have no junk drawer. I have no closet. Right? I'm just coming. I'm, my sins aren't covered. They've been washed away. And this is what we, our minds have to catch up to. When our minds will think and will live with that mentality, we'll, you know, we'll pray different. When someone says, I need this, well, good, let's just ask the Father because he likes us. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like on his good side, always. Yeah. I think I'm his favorite kid. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you got to figure it out. But I think he likes me more than you. And maybe you ought to think that too. You probably think you're the favorite, if you know this, because it's like I go to him and he smiles. I get around him and I pray and I worship him. I think he likes it. I think he wants me to be there. Yeah. And so when believers then are told again and again that they are sinners and have a sin nature, what does that produce? Sin consciousness. Sin consciousness doesn't draw you to him. It pulls you away from him. You want to run and hide. You approach him feeling uh, unworthy. Eh. Right? The, 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 the contrast, again, Old Testament sacrifices couldn't make people perfect. Jesus' sacrifice does make people perfect. <laughs> I know that's a new thought for some. Old Testament sacrifices were temporary in their covering. Jesus' sacrifice was permanent in its washing. At the, the 14th verse of this chapter, I said you could read it all, but look at verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. 
For by one offering he has done what? Perfected. 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 Duh. Forever. So if I've come to, if I've received Jesus as my Savior, I have been perfected forever. I realize this may not be the best conversation starter to go around telling people you're perfect. Or maybe it would. Maybe it'd stir up a nice conversation. Because it's not about boasting. And obviously, if you know, if you, in, in the context of this, you know what we're talking about. You know perfect people sometimes do imperfect things. And it doesn't erase their perfection in God. What do you say in perfection? Totally righteous. Completely right with God. Washed and clean. Made a new creation. All things are of God. That's what we mean. Okay? That's perfect. Do you always do everything perfect? I, that's, that's my goal. Each day is to live consistent with who I am in Christ. To think right. My mind is still being renewed. And I've been saved for a while. But it takes constant renewal. We got so many things trying to renew our minds the other way. So many voices, so many messages, so many, so many things that we see and take in, and they're contrary to God's Word. That's why we do what we do right here and all through the week. We, we, we infuse our minds with God's thinking. Why? So, so we can be consistent with who we really are. Everybody okay? Hallelujah. 1 John uh, 3.20 reads this way. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So never despair, <laughs> no matter what's going on. If our heart, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. You notice back to Adam and Eve, what happened after they ate? Their heart condemned them. I mean, God didn't condemn them. Their heart condemned them, and they lacked confidence towards God. So if I could live without heart condemnation, then my boldness just goes off the chart. What is boldness? Fearlessness. I'm fearless before people. I'm fearless before circumstance. I'm fearless to, to enter the very throne room of God. I don't know if we fully comprehend the magnitude of those type of uh, situations, because we, we talk about Hebrews 4 and come boldly before the throne of grace. When he was writing this, I think those people were much more conscious of the different types of governmental systems where a king would be on a throne and they had all power. They didn't have to run it through Congress or anything like that. They just did whatever they wanted. And, and, and in many of these situations, you've heard, maybe read stories about Esther and, and different people. When they, when they would come before a king, if they weren't invited and granted permission, they're toast. You couldn't just say, you couldn't just run up there and knock on the door and, and yell out or come out with a picket sign or anything like that. They'd just kill you. Right? <laughs> uh, to go before a king was a very big deal. Okay, you had to be granted permission. And, and that is likened unto, they had that understanding, and now we all of a sudden hear about going before God Almighty and coming before His throne. He said, and you can walk in there boldly. Yeah. What? That doesn't mean disrespectfully, but it does mean with confidence. Yeah. I'm not going before God, before the King of Kings, and and, and fearing for my life, thinking if I don't do everything just perfect, man, if I worship and my hands are not raised at the right level or, you know, or whatever, I'm doing something wrong. I could totally lose my life here. No, no, 
No, not anymore. The sacrifice has been made and now you belong there. He wants you there. And so uh, you, you might say, how, how do we live? Um, let me back up. I want to avoid living with sin consciousness. So I don't want to do things that foster that. I don't want to have a habit of just saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You know, every time I pray, well, Lord, just forgive us. We're just all, you know, and people rehearse the problems and everything that's wrong. And Lord, just forgive us of all of our sins. Stop, stop with that. That's too general. That's, that's too, that's coming from a sin consciousness. You're acting like something's wrong when he says something's right. Amen. Amen. And people do that and they perpetuate this mentality and may, they may call it humility, but it's really not. Um, it's one thing to admit specific wrongdoing and own it, take responsibility. It's another thing just to assume general sinfulness at all times. The first is, is godly. The second is totally wrong. Okay? Um, when a, here's the thing. When a believer commits sin, I'm talking about a believer. I'm not talking about someone in the world. If, if you are saved, you have a relationship with God, and you do the wrong thing, you know you did. You do. You know it. In other words, at that moment, you are sin conscious. I don't think you can avoid that. If your heart is right before God and you do something wrong, you are sin conscious for the moment. What should we do? And that's the question. What should I do about that? Because you don't want to remain there. It's ungodly. It's on un, it's un new covenant. What should I do with the way I feel? I don't mean we've lost our position with God. We didn't lose our salvation. I mean, no, you don't get saved because you stopped sinning. Neither do you lose your, your salvation because you sinned. So you're not lost and going to hell, but still, I did this wrong and ugh, I don't like it. I don't feel good about it. There's, there's something wrong here and therefore we must deal with it. Okay? Say, so what do we do? I, I believe the best thing to do is that we say about our sin what the Lord says. That's called confession. Okay? You might be familiar with uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, which reads, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? This, th this verse, in some circles, there's one preacher who's kind of uh, years ago kind of came against this verse and said that's written to unbelievers. But, but how many know you do not tell an unbeliever to confess their sins to be saved? When we, have, when we pray with people every Sunday, we don't say, okay, now what'd you do wrong? What else? Now name it from birth till now. What did you do wrong? Confess your sins. One, that's impossible. Two, that doesn't save you. What's the confession for the sinner? Jesus is Lord. Yeah, and then just like that, all the sins are gone. Okay. So that's not written to unbelievers, but a believer who's walking with God and they do something wrong, they become conscious of it and we should deal with it. I don't want to live with the burden of that, so what do I do? He says here to confess it. Well, what, what does that mean? Confession is the Greek word homologeo, which means 
to, to say the same thing. Homo is same. You know that word used in other context. <laughs> Homo means same. Uh, logeo is, uh, is one of the words for word or saying something, logos. Uh, it, it means to say the same thing. It, it means, you, you look up definitions, it means to acknowledge, um, it, it means to admit, things like that. But it, what, what are we doing? I'm, I'm basically saying about that thing that I know is wrong, I did it, but that's not all the Lord said about it, so I want to say the same thing as he says. I did it, and Jesus' blood was shed for it. So I'm not, I'm not being relationally irresponsible. Like, how I many know, you know, if you're in a relationship, if you're married, and you do the wrong thing to your spouse, and you just blow it off like, psh, no big deal. How I many know you kind of just hurt your relationship? You have to own things. You keep doing this to me, and you never say anything about it. That, that, you know, it's like at least acknowledge it, then things can go away. And, and they leave your consciousness, and you stop. Uh, when, someone, when someone does this with the Lord, they say, yeah, I did this. And Jesus' blood was shed for me. His blood washed me clean. And I am new in Christ. That once and for all perfect sacrifice washed this away. What am I doing? I'm applying what Jesus already did to my consciousness again. So I don't walk away feeling like I'm just a rascal. I'm a dirty dog. I am saying again what the Lord said about. If I lied, I say, that was a lie. That was wrong. And Jesus died for it. Thank you, Lord. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I walk closely with you. I'm right with you. I will not live with a consciousness of sin because I have none. Well, you just did it. I know. It's, it doesn't matter, though. It's gone. And I will not allow my mind to remain in that sinful state of feeling unworthy. Amen. Everybody with me today? Yeah. So, so, so that's what it means to, to, to do this. I don't want to ignore. I don't want to just sin and ignore. It's, it's not there. It's not there. Yeah, it's there. You know it is. Right? It's like, I'm not going to think about it. You're thinking about it while you're saying I'm not going to think about it. <laughs> so, one, one, once again, uh, remind yourself of Jesus' great sacrifice. If that ever stops, to say, I sin, it doesn't even bother me. <laughs> That's called a seared conscience. Okay, you want to get that. You want to get your conscience back. You want it to bother you. Otherwise, you'll go off, totally off track in your life, and you won't even feel it. Because don't, we don't want that. We want a soft, tender heart, and we, then we just apply the blood. Amen. Amen? So I want to encourage you today to thank God regularly that you have been made the righteousness of God. Just, I mean, it wouldn't hurt. Don't be religious about it, but it wouldn't hurt. Every time you prayed, you say, you say thank you, Lord, that I've been made new. I've been washed and cleansed. I've been made right before you. I, I, I've been given your very own nature. Now all things are of God. Thank you, Lord. I come before you as, a as your child, holy, righteous, clean, and pure. I come before you with boldness because I belong here. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. You can you get going there. You could spend some time, yeah. you know, just giving him thanks. But it's a regular, it's a healthy thing to regularly acknowledge that, that Jesus' uh, redemptive work worked in your life. And, and, and do not entertain feelings of unworthiness and guilt and shame. If you find yourself thinking that way, well, I'm just so, and you want to rehearse all the bad things you've done or every area you failed, stop that. Remember Philemon 6, we 
taught on last week. It's by the acknowledging of every good thing that we have in Christ that we become effective. Praise God. So I'm not looking for every bad thing. I'm looking for every good thing. If something bad crops up, thank you for the blood of Jesus that washed me clean from that sin, from that wrongdoing. And now I live in your favor. I live in your best all the days of my life. Amen. 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 And we want to live uh, righteous, conscious. Conscious that I'm right with God. Amen. Amen. Pray with me today. Father, thank you for working in here, for working in us. Oh, the joy of the Lord is our strength.